Genre. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Merle Highchurch, Taco, and Magnus Burnsides from the graphic novel The Adventure Zone, Murder on the Rockport Limited. And joining us for the discussion are all-star guests Brandon Ushio and Nick English from Fandom. Welcome, Brandon and Nick. Hello, sirs. Hello, this is Nick. Yes, I, I realized I introduced you both, which is always a little tricky on the voice recognition for, for listeners. So thank you, Nick, for identifying uh, your name there as you introduced yourself. That's why I went first. That way, Nick, <laughs> Nick all, well, the, all the pressure was on Nick. Usually, usually Nick goes first. So it is kind of weird for me to go second. So it gave me a little bit more time to think about it. Yeah, yeah work, work through that whole introduction there. Uh, for anyone who is unfamiliar, The Adventure Zone was a bi-weekly, well, is a bi-weekly actual play D&D podcast in which the McElroy brothers, Griffin, Travis, and Justin, and their father, Clint, play Dungeons & Dragons or other role-playing games, depending on which season of the podcast you're listening to. We are discussing the graphic novel adaptation from the second arc of the first season of that podcast. And the graphic novel is based on the podcast story that was created by Griffin, Glint, Justin, and Travis McElroy. And it was adapted for comic book format by Griffin McElroy and Carrie Peach with art by Carrie Peach. And it was released on July 17th, 2018. And it tells the story of three adventurers trying to solve a murder on a train. The orange. Uh, oh, never mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the podcast is not uh, hesitant to make allusions to existing media, <laughs> shall we say? Yeah. Uh, and, and clearly inspired by, by various storylines, which they generally acknowledge in the podcast. It, it's kind of an interesting thing to have listened to the podcast and then see this because the podcast is very loosey goosey in references in uh just stopping the narrative in order to to do goofs and jokes or even talk through things and it, now in the comic book they're trying to like stick more cohesively to to a clear narrative so there's there's some interesting things that happen there uh brandon and nick do you uh remember when you first became aware of the adventure zone podcast or how you came to uh the, this this storyline either in comic book form or the podcast form yeah so for me uh, the first the first place that i ever encountered it was uh pop culture convention it was a small convention that nick and i had a table at and we we talked we were talking to people about fandom but there were like three taco cosplayers and i'm like what in the why are you guys carrying umbrellas like what what is going on like you're an elf with a number like this just so like i asked him and like they're like, oh, yes, this podcast is great. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. And so I put it off for a couple months after that. But then I had burned through all of my podcasts. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to check this one out. I'm going to I'm going to see if this is the podcast, like if this is what all, all the hype lives up to it. And I didn't at that point in my podcast journey, I had only ever really listened to uh, nonfiction podcast things that explained how to do something or reported on the news or you know things like that and so this was like jumping into a narrative ish podcast was weird for me and i did not start at the right place but that's a whole nother story <laughs> uh it didn't start at the beginning i'm guessing <laughs> i did not start at the beginning but i actually think that the way that i started 
was better than the original way. So uh, mm. we can talk about that later. But well, I think it's we we can talk some about the podcast because we're, we're when we get to the real nitty gritty discussion, we'll we'll focus on this graphic novel. But we we can break down okay. some all of right, the all, uh, all right. I didn't pros want, and cons I did... of the podcast consumption. So so the the order that I did it in was there's an arc called the Stolen Century, which is actually a prequel to the main storyline. And so I listened to that and really got to know the characters in that. And there were some things that were not explained to me, but I had to figure out. Um, but there were a lot of things in the prequel that explain why things in the main story are the way they are. And the reason that I think I it was better for me to jump in there than at the first first arc is the first arc is just the D&D starter set. Yeah, and it, they, it feels very out of place uh, in relation to the story that ends up being told. Well, and even in the first episode, like he's using the names from from the starter set, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not going to remember that." We're calling this guy Barry Steve Blue Jeans. Barry Blue Jeans. Yeah, like, like very early on, they were like, "Yeah, this is not our type of thing. Let's make it our type of thing." Yeah, and it was not actually very. I'm going to say interesting, actually, to me. Like, I did not find it very, very compelling when I went back to the first because I went back to the first arc after listening to the this prequel arc prequel arc and i was like yeah this is okay but like what kept me going in the first arc was the things that i was like oh my gosh i know what that is and i know what this is and oh this is setting something really yeah. cool up and so it was it was really neat to see that tie together so i i'm a fan of listening to stolen or lost or whatever missing century first <laughs> and, and then, then going, going back to the beginning because they did well, they didn't really have their their groove on until probably this uh, murder on the Rockport Limited, mm -hmm. Rockport Express, Orient Express, whatever yeah, this, this is. The, the second story, the first one, at least for me, is, is, in some ways, it's kind of like the first season of Parks and Rec. In, and what I mean by that yeah. is I have that's a great That's a great way to put it. Lots of people recommend The Adventures of the People whose taste I absolutely like usually align with. Uh, and they were talking about like the heart and emotions because I, I, it was several arcs in before I decided to try it. And I was doing the first one and um, just upfront, this is not family friendly in terms of the humor and the language that they use in the podcast. And I, but people were talking, talking about all like the heart and emotion, how attached they got to the characters. And in the first arc, I'm like, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> like, it just wasn't <laughs> landing for me on that side. So like if it's going to have all that crassness, like I need something else like to make to really pull me in and make me like ignore the stuff that's you know not not my favorite in terms of like the kind of humor they use at times it's just juvenile for the sake of juvenile especially in the first arc um i, I think uh and then like i but because so many people had been recommending it uh i did push through and it does get there in some ways it, uh, another comparison it, it feels a little bit like ted lasso where there's a lot of crudity around but it's also a warm hug so many times and like you just fall in love with the characters and like there's a real like super positive emotional truth that comes through but you that first arc doesn't have any of that. <laughs> and so we, if I recommend it, I, I often are like, just maybe even skip the first arc and just start with the second, like, or at least like listen to the very beginning because you know the characters and then like jump to the last episode of the first arc and move on because it is kind of generic D and D stuff that isn't building the world or the characters or for me giving like the, the, the themes that are going to resonate as you, you move forward through what ends up being, I think a 69 story or chapter or um, overall story. Yeah, and they they take a lot of time, especially at the beginning, teaching each other how to play D and D. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're not interested in learning how to play D and D, then it it's it's you know like li listening to a textbook with funny <laughs> stuff in between it. And it's it's funny too because Brand I 
I do not remember people dressing up as Taco at at PopCon. There were three of them. There were but three of them. But I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I was kind of like in performer mode in some ways. You know, like sometimes you just kind of get in the zone and then like people are talking to you and you're like, yes, I, I understand. But how am I going to, you know, so you're like half listening. <laughs> I don't, you know, and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, you know. Um, and so after Brandon started listening to it, he recommended it to me. And I remember, and it's funny too, because I went back to to listen to it in preparation for this podcast. Um, and I went, oh, I totally remember listening to this and being like, this is boring. I, <laughs> I don't want to. And I stopped listening to it like after three or four episodes. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until years later that I really got into Critical Role and other, you know, Let's Play podcasts. And I was like, and I got all caught up on that, that I was like, I need something else to fulfill this, you know, part of my soul that I need filled. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, Brandon keeps talking about Adventure Zone. And so I started listening on the current arc, which is called Graduation. And it's not even these characters. Yeah, it's uh, I, that's the like the third major season, yeah. like multi multi story arcs story I, that they've built, and yeah, it, it's completely different world and characters and everything. Yeah, and I mean, and I I fell in love with it, and I was like, yeah, this is a completely different way, and it was very refreshing to see like the different ways that people play D anD D and stuff like that, and and. And so, like, it it was really interesting to me to go back and be like, oh, yeah, I did try to listen to Adventure Zone, <laughs> but then I didn't like it, and it just fell by the wayside. And now, after they found their feed, I'm, you know, I'm hooked. You know, I mean, I'm, I wait for the episodes, you know, every other week. So <laughs> I have I have to give you a little bit of a an example of how far in this drew me when I first came to it, though. So the Stolen Century arc starts at episode 60. Um, and it's and there's a handful of episodes. I, I think that's I think it's like five or so five or six episodes where uh, they are going through this prequel stuff. And I listened to that and I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. And then I yeah, so the 60 to 66 was the stolen century. And then I jumped back to episode one. And then I just started listening to all of them. And within a week, I had become live. Like I was waiting week to week for are the you last of the... Are you listening at 2x? Or what speed are you going? It was more this? than 3x at that point. Um, more than 3x? Yeah, he's, he's, a, mach- he's a machine. <laughs> I have a so problem. So I can do 2x and on audio, uh, on Audible, I can get up to like 2.3 on audiobooks, I have found. But that's like a very polished delivery on podcasts because it's so much more off the cuff i can't go past 2x okay so here's a speed tip like i this is this is the only way i can get past two and a half is if <laughs> is why i we have brandon <laughs> if i use overcast uh which is an app written by a guy named marco arment i can like full speed it and it also has a silence remover so like if there's a three second pause it will completely cut that out and uh so the so I get from uh, Overcast the speed and the silence removal, but then it, he also completely wrote his own audio engine. Like he's an audio nerd, and so he wrote a complete engine on how to do it. And it's the only one that I can use that sounds decent to pass two and a half times speed. 
Okay. And so, and so like audible, I can't, I, I don't like to go past two times speed on audible, to be honest, because mm-hmm. they just, the way they do it is not great. Most places just, get a little chirpy and cutting off some stuff. Yeah, mo- and, most places just use Apple's built-in API. This, this nerd wrote his own. And so that's how I did it. But like, it was, it was just like a week and I had become live with it and I had, a, and I had caught up with it. And uh, I would listen to it, like, as I was going to bed and things like that. And I literally, there was my wife started kicking me out of bed or telling me that I was not allowed to listen to this podcast in bed because there would be times where I would just start to laugh. And my wife was like, no, no, get out. So you woke yeah. me up again, Brandon. Yeah, basically, basically is like, this is not acceptable. I can relate uh, to that. There's a certain, there's a specific scene in the fantasy Costco, which is, Oh my gosh. Which, which, <laughs> I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Which one, when I saw what was coming, I was just like, oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, I literally got kicked out of bed for just laughing so hard at that part. No, I, I, I do know exactly what you are. So, uh, I mean, I guess it's worth t- t- talking through a little bit of what the podcast is like because it is literally they're, they're sitting down and playing D&D live where the DM has like the sketched out plot line of what's going to happen. And then the, the, then there's like the improv of everyone making their choices and rolling and, and that changing the outcome. And there's a lot of like jokey discussion and asides and they will make jokes out of character and then jump into character and all these things, which when you're now going to be adapting it to the graphic novel, which is what we're going to end up talking about when we get to the summary, uh, they, they, have, they have to trim all of those elements, which are part of what I think people love about the podcast because you, you're not, only falling in love with the characters you're falling in love with the people who are playing the characters and their sibling interplay and their, the father-son dynamic um and and the way that they rib each other which um it, it's just kind of a fascinating blend of uh if improv meta commentary about storytelling and then a real like fascinating and compelling story arc where particularly as it like builds momentum at the end, like it's like, can they drop the next episode? <laughs> like I remember uh, when I caught up, it had become like, Oh, why, why is there two week? Wait, wait, I don't, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> I want, I want to know what's going to happen next. Cause you do fully become invested in the characters and the twists and turns that Griffin McElroy has managed to, um, to craft, to, to pull all these various threads together. And I love how they do they they were they would do for where their max fun drive where they had to release an episode every week uh, because it was basically their membership drive they would do an episode that they would call the adventure zone zone where they would the, talk the adventure zones <laughs> yeah and so basically this podcast right here is the 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 adventure zone 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 um, so but he would talk about how like yeah I didn't have a plan and you guys chose to do something that I was not planning on and so I just rolled with it and it was mm-hmm. it's really kind of cool to see the behind the scenes on that and really how it really is a collaborative story that they're building together yeah. Uh, well, I guess we've kind of gotten a little deep in, so let's just run through the trivia that I had set aside. So the McElroys host the extremely popular weekly podcast, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. I had n- I've had never listened to an episode of that one. I only know them through The Adventure Zone. And again, I think it's because, like I said, so many people had recommended it, including you, Brandon, and my brother, uh, Andrew, and uh, lots of other people had I'd seen on social media talking about it. So I checked that one out. I still haven't rolled over to My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Um, and then <laughs> I saw this. I didn't know this. In 2014, in preparation for for Justin McElroy's paternity leave from the podcast. They recorded a D&D session with their dad based on the starter set for the fifth ed- edition of Dungeons & Dragons. And then in December of that year, well, well, they released that, you know, just like we have this one in the can, now we can release it. That one was so popular and they enjoyed doing it so much. In December of that year, they launched the Adventure Zone as its own podcast. So then they have their weekly 
my brother, my brother and me, and they're going to be doing the bi-weekly uh, Adventure Zone podcast. Um, the first three arcs of the podcast were called Here There Be Gerblins, Murder on the Rockport Limited, and Pedals to the Metal, and those have all been adapted as graphic novels. Uh, Here There Be Gerblins became the number one New York Times bestseller in fiction, and that's the first time a graphic novel has ever been number one on that list. And wow. the fourth um, graphic novel adaptation of uh, the, is it Crystal Kingdom? I'm trying to remember the name of it. Yeah, uh, Crystal Caver, Crystal something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's see. Hold on, I will find it real quick. Um, let's see, Crystal. Yes, Kingdom. yes, yes. You were right. Crystal Kingdom is going to be released this year, so it's kind of every July since 2018. Uh, they've released one of these graphic novels, which are large. I mean, over 200 page uh, graphic novels that um, try and turn again that improv narrative into uh, a cohesive story uh that that's been adapted for the comic book medium uh and the series was optioned for an a uh, animated series by nbc universal with plans for it to be released on the peacock streaming service um though it's only in development i've not seen i poked around a little and i couldn't find anything about it like actually having been ordered to full you know to, to full um creation of a, of a pilot even um just that it's the option is there and they're working um, in development stages for an animated version uh, of the series. So what started as a filler episode of a podcast <laughs> became its own separate podcast that became a number one New York Times bestselling graphic novel. And not just on the graphic novels list, like for all of fiction, it was the number one re- release the, the week that it came out. So well done, McElroy's, uh in spinning. <laughs> you know, th- that trajectory is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um... I didn't know that. <laughs> so that's cool. Now, with actual play D&D, like uh, Nick, you had mentioned Critical Role, which I've also had recommended to me. And I, I think similar to you, like I listened to like the first two episodes and then it didn't grab me enough that I, I kept going. I, mean, I would imagine if I kept going, I'd, I'd come to know those characters and, and follow it a little bit more. Um, that's one of the most popular critical or uh, actual play D&D. And I know they did a Kickstarter to fund an animated adaptation yes. that like broke all the records for Kickstarter. Yep. And then it, it's actually fully funded and that, and then um, Amazon prime picked it up mm-hmm. and it's been ordered for two seasons and the new season of critical or the animated series should drop. I don't know. At end of this year or next year. I don't, I, I'm not following the pandemic too has really has really yeah. messed up a lot of schedules yeah, stuff like yeah. that but but critical I I mean I feel the same way about critical role as I do about this podcast like if you listen to it from the very beginning of it I mean both of these pod you know both of those podcasts or you know actual play like they didn't know what they were doing at the time right mm-hmm. like it was very much like let's just throw something at the wall and see if it sticks and so it was very just raw and unpolished. And, you know, like even in some of those first, like there was a, there was a guy that's no longer on critical role anymore um, in those first ones. And like, once he kind of left, in my opinion, he, uh, the podcast became way better. Like the lightning in a bottle was found once he left, mm-hmm. you know? And, but when I listened to that, I did the same thing that I did with adventure zone. Whereas I started with their second campaign because it was much more palpable to me to listen to 40 episodes as opposed to 115 plus 40, you know, right. um, at that time. Um, now they're into 120 something in, in campaign two. So, um, and I I believe that you know they've probably got another year 
or so of that campaign and they do it every week and then they'll do a third campaign and that like anyone who's interested in critical role once they get to campaign three i say yep you know jump on because now they have it down to a science like how they do it um and they even started their own production company um, <laughs> again it's, a, it's one of those like amazing success like, stories from podcasting yeah, like, too like they were uh, part of geek and sundry and then yeah. all of a sudden they said nope uh, we're going to start our own company because we can be our own bosses now and have our own company and make money and start foundations. Like they've started, you know, like um, foundations for helping people learn how to read and write and like all this stuff. Like they're always doing charity work and it's, mm-hmm. it's impressive. And then the McRoy's do it too. Like both, I mean, both of these are kind of the two, I would say those two are kind of the flagship like shows in this kind of niche, but it also showed the world that we don't have to depend on Hollywood to get good entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. like and, it's and crazy. It, to me, one thing that's really interesting is like, I have always been like intrigued with the idea of D and D, but I've never done, I've never played it other than like two, uh, like, two to three hour long campaigns that my brother uh, Andrew camp uh, set up for us to do at like family reunions. Like just like here one night, we're just going to do a little thing. That's all I've done. I've never done like a long term, really building a character, getting to know the interactions of the characters that we've all created or anything like that. So listening to those first episodes when they're learning the rules of DD, that was really useful for me uh, to understand it. <clears throat> even if the, the story that they ended up telling in that first arc didn't stand out for me, but it's, the, it's something that's really fascinating about the idea of the story that's going to be told can be altered by the roll of the dice right you know like it's 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 the ultimate like it's not just choose your own adventure it's it's like just fate just stepping in right at that moment and one thing that i saw um previous guests of the show cabin help say he, he started talking a little bit about dnd because he, he does a lot of dnd stuff and he's he's also does improv uh and he's very interested in storytelling but he says dnd for playing at home versus dnd for streaming are wildly different things um and, in terms of like how you're trying to who you're trying to entertain uh, which yeah. when you're yeah. just a small group you all have your own in jokes you're you know and everything versus you're trying to entertain uh, you know hopefully i think for most people who do dnd on streaming or on podcasts you're trying to reach an audience of hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands you know uh, uh, you know increasing once if you're able to capture the lightning in a bottle like critical role and adventures don't have uh and, and it, it's just something to think about like this is just such an interesting thing that has become in some ways like a phenomenon in entertainment but it's also like completely unknown to so many people <laughs> right well and i think that the mcelroys part of the reason why they were as successful as they were is that they were novices at D when they started this and so this is this story is actually pretty if you listen to the original recording the original original podcast it's pretty D light mm-hmm. where like not everything they do they have to roll the dice to figure out if it works or not uh they just kind of do it and uh and they caught some flack for it their current arc or current campaign that they're doing with graduation is a little bit more D heavy but still it's kind of it's kind of boring to listen to people roll dice i want to hear yeah. them tell the story and so yeah it's, it's i think that this is something that a lot of people thought oh i can do this and they went and did it it's it's more when you're entertaining others it's more about telling the story than about rolling the dice and mm-hmm. it's also very helpful that both 
uh, Critical Role and The Adventure Zone had massive followings from something else before. So like, yes. I, I feel it, these it's have, a different launching point entirely. Yeah, these have spurned on so many actual play podcasts that are not very good and they don't have a following and they can't figure out why. And it's because you don't have a ginormous audience behind you. So when you yeah. start. Well, well and also, my, my brother, my brother and me was already a, a phenomenon, like already one of the most popular, well-known podcasts when they did that w- one episode uh, to cover some paternity leave time. Yeah. Well, and these these guys are trained actors and entertainers, right? I mean, well, the McElroys aren't. They're they're just their their father. Their father was. He was a radio guy. Yeah. He was a radio guy, so he knew how to speak to people, and and I mean, the McElroys had been making stuff from when they're very young like they made commercials and like they had like a show that they taped and stuff and so it wasn't like just one day they were like hey we want to entertain people like they did that stuff for fun and they did that sort of thing all the time so they knew how to entertain people and be in and they knew how to work with each other they knew how to flow with each other and they'd been they'd literally been preparing it for their entire lifetime this this is this is the moment they've been they've been preparing for people. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and All right. I mean, it worked. Well, we've done so. a very long intro to, to get to the summary, <laughs> uh, but I think it's all been great content. I'm not complaining at all. And for this particular text, I think it's useful to explore some of those uh, aspects of the creation of it before we do the summary. But before we get to that summary, thank you for downloading this episode. Thank you for supporting us. If you would like to support us on pa- on uh, patreon.com slash protagonist, we would be very thankful for any support. You can do it at a dollar per month or more. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not covering as full episodes of the podcast yet. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So on to the summary of Murder on the Rockport Limited. Um, really, all I think that we need to know about the previous arc is that we met our three heroes, Magnus Burnsides, who's a human fighter, Taco, who's an elf wizard, and Merle Highchurch, who's a dwarf cleric. Isn't cleric. his last name Taco? His name is Taco Taco, right? I think it's always just written out as Taco when I was poking I know, I around. Think, I think yeah. in the in the original first episode, they were like, well, what's his last name? And he says his name is Taco Taco, but Taco's spelled differently. <laughs> Okay. So it's T-A-A-K-O and then T-A-C-C-C-I-O or, you know, Taco. <laughs> right. Some, he did like something like a Mario like Mario that. situation. Yeah. For, and that's even the joke that. they said. That's exactly what they said <laughs> after. He's like, his name is Luigi Mario and Mario Mario. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> I mean, that, that may have been kicking around from having listened to that, that episode. I don't know. But uh, Maybe. also like the double names. I, I always just go to Mario Mario. <laughs> the double names um but these three magnus taco and merle have been recruited by a mysterious secret organization called the bureau of balance and the bureau wants them to help destroy powerful magical relics uh and one was recently found by a man named lehman kessler lehman kessler however was murdered after having his valuables stored on the rockport express so one of these three is going to have to go and claim lehman's ticket and pretend to be him so that at the end of the rockport express's journey he will get lehman kessler's luggage um now When it comes to getting the job done, these three individuals are great adventurers. When it comes to following a plan or consistently pretending to be someone else, their competency level plummets. Uh, (laughs) So to convince the employee at the ticket counter that Merle is leaving Kessler, Taco ends up just casting a charm person spell on him. They are just like comically inept at trying to say who is who when they're trying to take on (laughs) other identities. Uh, The the employee then gives them tickets to the train. Uh, Now, when they go get on the train, they meet the engineer Hudson. He takes their weapons and says that all weapons are kept with him in the engine car, which will be locked for the duration of 
the train ride. Then the intendant Jenkins gives them a tour of the train. Jenkins has a crazy rainbow bow tie and is mocked by our three main characters throughout his tour. He explains that all the valuable luggage is kept in a safe in the last car. The safe can only be opened within an hour of sustained contact by the engineer. So there's no way that they can even show Lehman Kessler, quote unquote, uh, the relic until the train reaches its destination because it's been locked in the safe. Uh, And Hudson, once they get there, will go do his thing. Uh, and so uh, they just have to wait till the end of the train ride to get this relic. Jenkins shows them a feature of this high-end train, which he calls the Pleasure Chamber, and using a magical rod, Jenkins can open a portal from one doorway uh, so that it now is, is like acting as another doorway to any other enclosed space with a single entrance anywhere in the world. So nothing can be left in or taken out of the Pleasure Chamber, but if they want to spend the entire time hanging out in a library, he can turn a door in the train into the door to a real library, and they would be in that library space, come back through the door, and be back on the train. So it's like a holodeck, except they actually yeah. physically Fantasy. go Um, and this device can make that uh, so this device is is um, one of the perks of riding on the Rockport Express Uh, they also meet the other passengers which in this instance there's only three of them there's a dwarf woman who is a professional wrestler named Jess the Beheader there's a young human boy named Angus McDonald hello sirs who is reading a book from the Caleb Cleveland Kid Cop series Uh, and there's also a human wizard named Graham who really loves trains so that's our setup that we need to know. You're on the train. <laughs> Weapons are locked in the uh, engineer car. Uh, important relics are back in a safe that can't be accessed. And the only people on the train are the are Hudson and uh, Jenkins, the workers. Then our three adventurers. And then these three uh, other guests, uh, Angus, Jess the Beheader, and Graham. So Merle, Mang- uh, Mangus, and Taco have brief conversations with everyone on the train and get to know a little bit about them. They are very suspicious of Angus McDonald. I think it's very strange uh, for a child to be writing alone and reading books because what kid actually reads books? Uh, and then <laughs> even at one point, they try and roll, uh, do a zone of truth, which is a spell that uh, uh, Merle likes to cast on him. And he easily like defeats it because his, uh, I can't remember what modifier it is. I think it was a charisma saving his throw. His charisma uh, score is so high that the, uh, the, the um, zone he rolled a 24. Yeah. And immediately they're like, oh, that means he's the bad guy. No child should have that much charisma. Uh, <laughs> little they knew, like Angus really does have that much charisma. He's a great character. <laughs> um, uh, they go and make Jenkins show them the pleasure chamber, and he opens a doorway to his private garden back home. When they leave that, Angus confronts them and says, hello, sirs. Can you tell me your real names? He has deduced they're not who they say they are because he is the world's greatest detective at 10 years old. Bruce Wayne? <laughs> they learned that Angus has been hired to look into a murderer named the Rockport Slayer. His book is actually a magical device that can intercept communications. Uh, the worker that they had charmed to get the train tickets, uh, once the charm spell had worn off, he sent a message ahead warning the train employees that Lehman Kessler and friends aren't who they say they are. That's how he knew that those weren't their real names, besides the fact that they couldn't keep their names straight. I think even a uh, uh, an amateur detective would have figured out <laughs> these people aren't who they say they are. Let alone the world's greatest detective. Yes. Uh, Angus doesn't think they're the murderers, though, because <laughs> I think he says something like, you're too incompetent to be a serial killer. <laughs> yep, he has a point. He has a point. <laughs> he just wants to join forces with them because he thinks they're trying to find out who the killer is as well. They hear a scream in another car, and when they run, they find a decapitated body that is also missing its hands and the body has a rainbow tie 
on. Just then, it's magical threat time. There's a big battle with the fire breathing crab. I'm not going to go into the, the battles. It's just uh, lots of uh, magic. They fight a giant magic crab. Yep. <laughs> and then at the very end, Jess the Beheader comes in and helps them defeat the crab. They interrogate Jess and Graham, but get nowhere. They don't they feel like they're really getting good leads on them. Uh, so they go to the engineer's car and then they knock on the door. Hudson refuses to let them in uh, because there's a murderer on the loose and also just it's company policy that he wouldn't let them in. So they all go mm-hmm. back to the luggage car and uh, they're trying to explore there. They find nothing strange at all. Uh, they thought, uh, you know, something would be going on back there. Um, there was a strange flash as they went into the luggage car, though. Uh, Angus has a theory and he helps everyone reach the conclusion that he has. The body wasn't Jenkins. It was Hudson. That's why the hands were cut off. So the hands could be put on the safe and open it before the train reaches the next stop. The luggage car they just checked wasn't really the luggage car, but a, fa- a facsimile made by Jenkins using the transport rod. So he sent them to a fake luggage car as they entered through the door. Uh, and Ooh. Jenkins would really be uh, back there using Ocean's the Ocean's Eleven style. Exactly. I, I believe there are many references to Ocean's Eleven during <laughs> <laughs> during this in the podcast itself. Um so Jenkins is not the victim. He is the murderer. They do this crazy maneuver with the rope to get Mangus off the back of the train and being able to enter through the back door of the luggage car. Hey, Joe, uh, you keep saying Mangus. And it's, I know it's because Magnus. it's Agnes, Angus McDonald's and sorry, Magnus. Magnus. Sorry, yes. I just, <laughs> I, as I was saying, I'm like, that sounded weird, but I just kept going. But yes, it's Ma- Magnus uh, Burnsides, not Angus McDonald. There's a, also like the Mang- uh, Magnus and Merle get mixed up because they're both the M names for the, the three. I wish they had different differentiated the names just a little bit more <laughs> throughout this. They did um, that in Critical Role too in their first season. The, the names were a little too close. <laughs> Vex and Vax. Oh, come you, on. <laughs> and, and Vex was the girl and Vax was the boy. So it made it even more like a little bit. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. So Magnus uh, gets in through the back door of the luggage car. He, he does this thing where he's hanging off a rope and swings around and kicks through the door. He stops Jenkins from using the transport spell uh, so that now everyone going to go just come through the door in a normal way. Uh, they stop Jenkins and a couple monster goons that he has. They recover the relic from the safe that Jenkins had opened. Uh, but there's no one operating the train, so it's going to crash very fast to the next train station very soon. Taco looks ahead and sees that the train will pass under an archway on its way to the station Everyone jumps off the moving train to various levels of injury, depending on what they rolled (laughs) as far as their dexterity. (laughs) And then Taco uses the transport rod to turn the archway into a portal into Jenkins' personal garden, where the train now violently crashes to a stop. The relic is destroyed by the Bureau of Balance. Everyone heals up nicely and is ready for their next adventure. The end. Uh, So... The murder of the Ro- on the Rockport Limited, very early on, Nick, you were mentioning uh, Oriented Express. Uh, and I think this is one of those <laughs> fun things where, uh, depending on how, like, st- like, if you were trying to follow, like, the strict rules of what is and what isn't in the world of the Adventure Zone, it would make no sense. Because it's like whatever they need from one story arc to the next. There's a sci-fi space space in, in one. On the moon. Yeah. On the moon. Uh, <laughs> there's, um, it's, like, begins with, like, your classic pre-industrial fantasy setting like you know a a world of farmers and magic uh but then in another story arc there'll be in this one there's a trade in another one there'll be cars that race but he never calls them cars because it's you know (laughs) dnd it's fantasy i can't remember what he calls them uh and and so it's like whatever they need is what's going to fit in this carriages i think they're battle wagons yeah that's it battle Battle wagons wagons. it's a very strange pastiche that somehow i think works obviously for a large number of listeners it definitely worked um 
And I think part of it is because it's just so, uh, you know, in, improvisational in terms of. Well, what, and if you establish that from the beginning, then, you know. Yeah, within the world that, of the, it's not uh, a big that deal. they're making, like, it's within their yeah. rules that whatever technology they want is going to be that's, there. I mean, that's the beauty of D&D, too, is like the rules are kind of purposely made so that, like, truly, if you really want to. You can play D and D in any setting that you want. You just have to change the names of stuff. Yeah, and I think know? that's one thing that works so well is it's kind of fun to have a classic uh, closed room murder mystery where, like, you have a set of suspects and it has to be one of them because we were on a moving train uh, when this happened. But now we're going to throw in all the fantasy elements and see how those things mix together. And I think it's, it's um, uh, you, you get some fun twists in, in terms of like the spell casting and uh, you know, the door portals that are just adding uh new twists to that classic genre. Yeah. And I mean, one, one of the tricks that dungeon masters or, you know, game masters will always do for, for D and D it um, is they will take things that, are cool and then they'll just say hey i could do that in D. this is how i'll figure out how to do it and this is exactly what griffin did right like he was like i want to have a murder mystery what's the best murder mystery ever oh murder on the orient express how can i make that in D?" and then you just kind of start piecing it together and you know it makes it really fun and and cool and one of the things that i found as a dungeon master is that if you incorporate things that are familiar to people but then change them just enough then it brings more like it brings more fun to it because they're like oh i'm familiar with this and i know how to interact with it and it's not completely foreign and it's not weird because i mean it can be very weird we're in a fantasy world where weird stuff happens (laughs) but if you can bring in elements that are familiar even if it's just kind of like, oh, a story arc or, you know what, fairies give you stuff that make you fly, you know, like, oh, well, that's kind of like in Peter Pan. Yeah, it's exactly like in Peter Pan. And that's where <laughs> I stole it from. But this is in D&D and this is in my world here. Well, and you, you can know? get really complicated with that. So Nick DMs the a campaign that I'm playing in right now, and I'm a computer nerd. And so I sat down and I wanted to build the internet in this world. And now Nick's a good DM, so he didn't let me build the internet in this world. (laughs) But he did let me uh, bring – so I basically put together a couple different network protocols. And then I used uh, a bunch of sending stones uh, put in a a specific way. And I wrote out a sending stone network protocol where, (laughs) like, we can transmit information around the world really quickly, like – in D&D terms, really slow in, like, human internet terms. So, like, I can't just, like, Google how to defeat the evil wizard uh, uh, for my in, – in this D&D campaign. But if I need to send a message or if I need to get information, I have a I have a way to do that. And it's exactly what Nick was saying. So you take something you know and you can adapt it into D&D. And, like, I wrote out, like, a – I'm kind of embarrassed to say I think it was, like, a two- or three-page spec on – It was one-and-a-half pages. You know, you're, you're, you're exaggerating for effect. No, I, I, I haven't looked at it for a while because I know it that well because it, it has to do with my day job, kind of. Um, but, no, like, it's a page-and-a-half spec on here is how we're going to get around these limitations of no internet in this world. So it's kind of it's kind of a fun thing you can do with D&D. And it's kind of neat to see how they took the murder on the Orient Express and adapted it to D&D and then adapted that into a podcast and then adapted that into a comic book. So like, well, and the the podcast is so different than the story 
in in terms of tone and what they're able to pull off because uh, the, than the uh, the graphic novel because this has to be more of a I think a, a, a traditionally tight narrative whereas like there's all sorts of jokey tangents that they do on the podcast for like for the next five minutes we're just doing riffs on uh be it a character's name or uh just out of out of story stuff that's happening around them that as an audience member you can laugh at because they, they give you enough context to laugh at it but it'd be very odd to have it now they they do keep a little bit of that in this by making the dungeon master like uh a, a, a character that pops up on panels. Well, he's uh, like, yeah, he's like the yellow, you know, information dump in most comic books, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, the, the text box, the editor, editorial text, note. Yeah. They turned it yeah. into the dungeon master just popping in and uh, at times talking directly to the characters saying you can't do that, um, uh, particularly to uh, th- their dad seems to struggle with the rules of, <laughs> of <laughs> um, D&D. And, and so he was, well, and uh, he was the one that never played it from the beginning. Yes. So, <laughs> but yeah, and I, as I was reading this comic book, I turned to my wife and I said, it is so funny to be reading this comic book and like basically feeling like I am in a session of D and D with my friends. Like it was so masterfully done where like, you know, they just randomly make this off topic about, you know, oceans 11. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, how many times in our D and D sessions are we just, you know, hanging out and I make a reference to Samurai Jack and somebody yells, Aku! just because, you know, I made a samurai named Jack in our world, you know, and, <laughs> and it's, it's just, and, and that is part of the culture and part of the fun of D and D is having a group together, sharing the experience together. And, you know, making inside jokes about like, oh, well, Brandon made the internet in D&D. Like he, you know, he spent, <laughs> he spent countless, I mean, probably at least an hour or more figuring out for this fake world in this yeah, fake no game of ours. No comments. Right. Like <laughs> How long you spent? Spent so many hours trying to figure out, well, this is just one aspect that I really want to figure out because this is just really fun and I'm having so much fun. I'm going to create this, you know, and like, that's the fun of D and D for, you know, some people and other people just love the interaction. Other people like the fighting. And so there's just so much for everyone. And it was so fun to be reading it in a comic book. Mm -hmm. And I had never seen, like, I mean, I hadn't seen that before, but then again, you know, how many of those type of comic books am I going to read? Right. Um, well, and I think it was, it's it's interesting because there are like some fantasy novels that are famously like inspired by a D and D session that the author had done, and, but but they always like remove a lot of what makes D and D D and D in order to turn it into what makes a fantasy novel a fantasy novel. And this is like trying to ride that line of preserving both uh, elements. And I don't know how successful it would be to hand this to someone who's never played D and D or never listened to the Adventure Zone and say, "Do you enjoy this comic?" I mean, it was the number one bestseller, so maybe they would. Uh, but for me, like, I'm still hearing their voices uh, as I read through it from having listened to the podcast. And it is, like you said, it's it's returning me to some of the feeling of that uh, interplay uh, and uh, narrative improvisation that's kind of a joy to listen to in the podcast. And they managed to capture that feel, at least for me as someone who's already familiar with it, in the, in the comic book page. I did find it very interesting. That was one of my notes that I took. I read this in their voices. Like I, I was like, oh, I know what they sound like and this is their voices. So it was just kind of fun to watch them, uh, reenact this thing with my, 
with the voice that's not a normal head. thing to do though like <laughs> i mean legitimately every single time i read harry potter i just think of everyone's voice from the movie every time that i reread See, I it I you know less with ones that where i read the book first like with harry potter i read the book first uh hmm. so i don't think i do that as much well, with I that but with this one like yeah. i couldn't i mean brandon you you i think you and i have both done an angus mcdonald voice of the hello sirs <laughs> <laughs> the like earnest little boy voice <laughs> Right. Uh, that I, I can't help but hear when I do that. And I, I'm sure part of that is because I'd listened to the whole podcast through uh, probably twice before I read this graphic novel. I do have to say Angus McDonald is my favorite NPC ever in the entire series. Like he just like he, I just like him. I like how precocious he is. I like his interactions, like how how genuine he is while the adventurers like are pulling his chain most of the time it's it's a <laughs> that lot does of not fun. surprise me at all because brandon generally likes the guy at the desk the nerd <laughs> are you calling me a nerd no well i will I'm say what, you what, common, i'm calling you educated <laughs> one thing that's interesting with the adventure zone is they have also done live shows like their, their core storyline they all did in like their own recording session but they the macaroni brothers do uh well did before covid um, touring live shows of my brother, my brother, and me, and also the Adventure Zone, and they released a lot of you know most of those have been released just to fill in weeks when they needed a week off in between uh, chapters or when when they were switching gears between seasons or things. Or and babies were what born. The, what the what the audience reaction is to the, the storytelling that they do, and there's a very different feel to those like two hour live sessions to do a whole story versus the you know eight or nine episodes that you get across two months time when you're listening to it uh, for for their main story arc. But like if Angus McDonald shows up in a live show, I think it's the biggest pop <laughs> of <laughs> uh, of any anything. And, and in the live shows, they are always doing like they're bringing in past characters and always and, and so you hear the cheering from the audience at Angus McDonald's like as 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 soon as he does his hello sirs, uh, you you just hear the whole audience. So I think it's not just you, Brandon. Uh, I think he is somehow a, a, an NPC that just kind of took off and, and became an immensely popular character. Well, I think the cross-section of, of people who will listen to an actual play podcast and then pay $30 to go see a live show... And, somebody playing D anD D, and you know, <laughs> people playing D anD D, and identifying like, with a nerdy character, <laughs> relating with a nerdy character. I think it's a pretty good crossover. Yeah, like, yeah, that, that Venn diagram is a circle. That is, that is just one. There's no that Venn diagram is not very big. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, there may be uh, that may be part of it. Um, so I, I think a, a lot of what becomes fascinating in this is those like narrative, how the story is being told, what they're borrowing from. But I, I think it's worth digging into the characters as well. Uh, as far as like Merle and uh, Magnus and Taco, Taco, do you have a favorite of those three? I believe I believe that Taco is well. Probably Taco is my favorite, but only because he. He seems to have the most eccentric personality in this first one. Um, yes, I would where agree with he, that. he's more extreme and I you know, it makes for a more interesting character in this type of setting. Plus, the person that plays him is kind of no known for that. Like he he's really good at making that that a that a reality. The other two are very much like first characters of a first time D D player, right? Mm-hmm. Um in my experience, a lot of the times when somebody first sits down to play D&D, they, they make a very generic hero because they want to be, you know, this 
you know, whatever their interpretation of a good, perfect hero is, whether or not that's, you know, a Luke Skywalker archetype, the lone wolf that, you know, I'm Wolverine and nobody likes me or whatever, which, you know, can be very boring in D&D because if you're not interacting with other people, then why are you there playing? <laughs> but Right, like the payoff for those is often the, uh, you know, the emotional breakthroughs that come after, you know, 25 issues of a comic book you know, series. So it, and with D&D, always... you want to like get that interaction happening sooner. So yeah, and you, you want to fail and you want there to be conflict, right? Like that's mm-hmm. how you can create conflict is by creating a character that has a flaw. And a lot of people don't like to create flaws for their characters very early on because they also don't, are not com- comfortable with that, right? And, now, and exploring that also sort of thing. A tendency, so again, I've never played a D&D campaign. Is there a tendency um, to also like go like super dark and tragic in the backstories of their characters? Um, well, I mean, it, it all depends on on the person. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it and it definitely is there. Like, th- I mean, I have I have a few characters and one of them her backstory is all roses like everything was like i was the princess and and then i grew up and they didn't let me leave and so i'm leaving to go out on my own because i was sheltered as a as a princess and so and 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 i was like okay well this is really boring so she <laughs> has a she has a very secret backstory that she doesn't know about and the entire campaign has been her finding out that the world is not as what she seem, thinks it is. Well, like she thinks that the world is a very specific way. And she's now going out into the world for the first time. Cause she's been in this castle hiding and it's a whole lot different than she thought. And like constantly throughout the entire campaign, it's been like, well, I didn't know the world could work that way. And I'm like, I'm seeing a theme here, right? <laughs> you know, like I'm seeing a theme, you know, but then there's other people that like, my boyfriend who I loved so much was killed by my mafia boss dad. And then I was hidden <laughs> from him. We can't, because, we, we you know, can't stuff let anybody like else in our campaign know these things, Nick. Uh, yeah, no, it's yeah. Like, and there's people that are like so guarded with their secrets and it's, and that's part of the fun of D and D is that everyone plays. Like, it's not like a video game where it's like, you can expect like, this is how things are going to be laid out. Right. Like, if I go into this town, I'm going to explore every part of it, do all the side quests, and then I'll do the main quest <laughs> because I might not be able to come back and do those side quests. And that's part of the fun of being a DM is that you can tempt players by saying, hey, look at this pretty side quest. There's this thing over here. Do you guys want to be tempted by this? But if you make this decision, the world's still going on. And you know this is a game of choice. And so if you guys go over here, something else you might miss out on and you always will miss out on something like it's not it's like the real world, right? Like you don't get to complete the game at 100 Mm percent. And it's a narrative that is collaborative in that way. Okay, Nick. You know, okay. Uh, hey, so, so like, I have to add on to what you're saying here, though, because like some of my favorite, uh, some of my favorite experiences in this campaign that we're playing right now, I'm playing a guy who gets, uh, I'm a tiefling, so I basically am racially profiled everywhere that I go, and he's some of half my demon, half human, yeah, and, and so and he looks like a devil, yeah. So like, people are like untrustworthy, or like are just wary of my race in general. Humans are at least right, and so. My some of my favorite interactions in the campaign that we've been playing is when we have a uh, 
where we have this princess who is very like has been sheltered, uh, butting heads with the guy who's had the world thrown in his face. And they both think that each other like, oh, you've been free to do whatever you want. And I've thought to myself, oh, well, you've been given everything on a silver platter. And so those interactions are have been some of my favorite ones in the campaign. And so for that reason, I'm going to go back to Joe's original question and disagree, <laughs> and disagree with Nick about who my favorite character is, because I like Merle. He's my favorite character for multiple reasons. One is I can identify with him as a new D&D player figuring out all this, right? Like as 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 the Clint, as Clint as the player. I can identify with him, but I also really appreciate how he's this cleric who's not very good at being a cleric. And, and that's very, that's very fun. Yeah. That's and it, very it's, it's fun a to ton play. of fun and he does things that they don't expect and they so get in to terms rip of the, him the for cleric, it. One of the main things he's supposed to do is be like a healer for their group. Right. And do lots of like divine spell work. And he, he struggles to decide what to do with a lot of that. And he forgets to heal them all the time. Forgets <laughs> to heal them, forgets to buff them. Uh, try, you know, he, he becomes the zone of truth guy. Right. And yeah. so it's, so I, I like that. And I like, I like the fact that he's not eccentric, really. I mean, he is because all of these characters are eccentric because they, they know they're playing a role. But he's also, I feel like, the most regular, average Joe, like, I'm not very good at this, and I, but I'm trying. Like, he, he's going out and he's doing this thing and he's trying. And he does get better throughout the campaign and throughout his For time sure. doing the in graduation. He, he does a pretty good job of it anyway. And so well, I, and Brandon I, I, saying that, makes me think well that makes perfect sense because the one i relate with is the one that like the level that i am in at dnd right like like i'm looking for something interesting and different and you know brandon being new this is his first campaign first time playing but it was it was even before you know, i played anything nick nick it yeah. was well, it was even before i had played anything it wasn't about his level of dnd it was about his level of being a real person in this world like he was the most real not real person because i mean he's a magic user sure. cleric stuff like that but he was the most to me it felt like hey this is what it would really be like if somebody was a cleric and they're like i'm just learning all this stuff still mm -hmm. and yeah whereas like taco there's something very performative and that's like a choice that they like roll into the character they make it clear that the character is doing a lot of the stuff that feels performative in how uh which one is taco i can't remember. i i don't know the brothers <laughs> to keep justin straight. Justin, justin yeah uh yeah who like from the very beginning like Justin has the character voice. He knows who Taco is more so, I think, than uh, they know who Merle and Merle, Magnus yeah. are, are going to yeah. be. Um, but they they turn that performativeness into like part of why you know how Taco sees the world and what he's trying to project out onto the world. So it doesn't be it's not a bug; it's a feature uh, of that character. But it's very well, different from like the earnest stumbling of Merle High Church. See, and and like as we were talking about, it, I just thought this is why this is successful, right? Like. They have characters that everyone can relate to, right? Mm -hmm. Like new, old people in D and D, people who've never played D and D, people who have no idea what D and D is. You know, like I mean, we've kind of covered a broad spectrum here, and you know, there's a lot of D and D podcasts out there, and a lot of actual play podcasts, and you know, not of not all of them have that lightning in a bottle. And I think that, like, we kind of touched on something here, like. Yeah, you know, and, and like I love uh, with Magnus, uh, the, I love like the creativity with which he does his actions. Like he's always eager to like rush in and do do actions, but he also like is doing something different than you would expect in every situation. Uh, and like throwing it to Griffin, the the DM, and saying this is what I'm going to do, and Griffin's just kind of like, 
okay, <laughs> let's let's roll and see let, what's going to happen here. Let, let's see what happens. Yeah, um, and that that's always the best thing mm-hmm. as a DM. Like if if people do something that is unexpected, it's kind of a breath of fresh air because you do so much preparation and or you know or or whatever to try to and you kind of try to feel like okay this is how i think my characters are going to act and so you know i need to at least have something prepared in my mind so it's not just com- like a complete whitewash or you know or of whatever um and so like when they throw a wrench at you it's it's fun and refreshing cuz you're like oh well now i've got to put on my you know improv goggles and stuff and i think that i think that the McElroy brothers find joy in doing that to each other right Mm -hmm. like they always are trying to find a way to do the unexpected and like that's part of the fun and even in the book like you get that same you know feel from from the way it was written and everything like that and so like in this book one of my favorite uh favorite uh interactions was with uh griffin the dm and and magnus saying i'm gonna do this and can i do this is this gonna work and he's like well yeah you can do it but but if you mess up i'm gonna kill you (laughs) and so he's like wait that could happen and he's like yeah i mean you roll the dice and if it and if it works it's really cool and if it doesn't you're dead (laughs) so and that's you know i mean that's kind of how it is in real life like risk versus reward and most of us don't won't go rappelling down the side of a train because the odds <laughs> that we're going to die in real life outweigh the odds if we're going to die on in a game and just have to roll up a new character sheet, right? And yeah. so it's it's really interesting to see. It was kind of interesting to see that conversation, and I, and and that really kind of sh- foreshadows everything that uh, Magnus does in this arc. And I love that Magnus has a catchphrase of Magnus rushes in. And as I've played D and D, I've tried to, you know, I've got a catchphrase. I've, I've, uh-huh. I've, I've made a what cannon. Is, what so, is your catchphrase? So I, I say that everything's a gun because I've got a <laughs> cannon and a pistol. And uh, I basically like my, my pistol, I can cast healing spells out or my cannon. I can cast healing spells out of it essentially. And so it's a healing gun. Uh, I, I cast uh, levitation out of my pistol one time, and so it was my anti-gravity gun. Like, everything's a gun. And so right. <laughs> that's just who my character is. Um, he's, in- he's the Pirate King, so it makes sense. Oh, that, that does definitely make sense. Also, makes sense why Pirate King would want to set up the internet, right? That, <laughs> that connects fully. <laughs> well, there's a deep backstory there. All right. Of more than just, hey, I'm a pirate. <laughs> um. In, in regards to transferring this audio podcast story into the comic book, I think one of the biggest things is everyone probably had a different version of what these characters look like in their head. And you see that in the fan art that I know was generated before they announced the, the comic book adaptation. They were getting lots of fan art and they include fan art in the back of um of the graphic novel so you can see lots of different takes on who these characters are do you guys have any feelings about uh carrie peach and i'm sorry if i've mispronounced that it's p-i-e-t-s-c-h i assume it's peach but there could be other yeah, pronunciations there yeah uh but do you have any takes one. on the art uh and how they interpreted uh the characters which i'm sure was in very close discussion with uh the mcelroys in terms of how they were the you know the character designs and those elements too well i know that Maybe not at the beginning, but I'm sure that by the time this happened, um, they usually release official art mm-hmm. of like what the characters look like 
um, you know, and they'll say, okay, this is the official art for the sole purpose of people being able to do fan art because fan art is a very big part of these these type of podcasts. Um, it is very, I mean, I even have one of my players who is a, you know, a, a good artist and he will go and draw stuff from our campaign just because he wants to. Like, he's just like, this was a really funny thing that we did and I want to draw it and he'll text it to the, you know, eight of us and we laugh because it's our little inside joke, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But, and so I feel like that they probably had something very early on. I can't I don't say think that so, for I remember sure. In uh, the, the adventure zone zone when they were doing something behind the scenes, they talked about, I think at one point not wanting to limit how people interpreted the characters. So they, Interesting. they, they weren't doing it again because they, I, at that point, I don't think they had any idea that this would ever go beyond the podcast and they sure. would have to create yeah. an official version. And maybe I'm remembering that wrong, but that's something that I kind of have floating in my I'm head totally is down. that they were trying to encourage, different interpretations yeah they uh they they had a bunch of that but it was interesting like i told you how i binged this and like when i binged it i was like i've got to consume everything and so i joined some fan groups after i was caught up and i was watching things and i scrolled back in the history and i watched how fan art would come out and then the more prominent people in the fan art community they would start to share concepts essentially with each other they'd be oh i really liked how what you did with the umbrella there so in the next in their fan art they would adopt that style of umbrella and so yes they did not i as far as i can remember they did not say this is what they look like from the beginning but the community together kind of decided these are the best things of all of the communal uh versions and the carrie peach basically did his adaptations of it and i really like his art style this is it's not quite like a fully buttoned up, uh, it's it's Marvel comic, so to say, right? But it's also not quite to like the level of hero it's bear. It is her art style. Or her is it? Okay, thank you, thank you. I did I did not yeah. know that. It's it's those those names that can be either gender. That's yes. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it it's really I, I like the art style a lot. About there's a there's a roughness to it that gives you that just kind of can convey the emotion a little bit more. Um, and, and it's just really kind of neat to, to see all of these, all of these fan arts. And if you go to the, if you scroll to the, or scroll, I I read this one on Kindle, but at the very end of the comic, it's got a bunch of fan art in it and you can see the, the evolution of the characters. I think they put it on all three so far. They've had different fan art, uh, at the back. I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering right, I've got, hold on, let me reach over that do, that does I, sound right. That I does, feel yes, like that the art good. style, like the it's you know more animated, cartoony, um, definitely fits the tone of the book and sets the ex- expectation. Um, one of the things that I was really curious about too was the choice of the color palette mm-hmm. because it's very pastel-y and very cool on the cool side of the spectrum, which is very different from what most comic books will be. They'll be very vibrant and heavy colors, you know? Yeah, like um, the, the, very the Jack Kirby, you know? Colors, yeah, right, just yeah. boom, boom, everything in your face. And so, like, even just that choice sets it apart. And, and that's becoming more and more common now that there are a lot more graphic novels being released and it's become a more popular well, uh, medium for more than just superhero stuff. I think also it, part of it is the technology of printing has changed where there is uh, the, the ability to make this 
in this uh, color palette is is different than when the the established norms of like superhero comic stories to tell like, like it was you had to go with your primary and secondary colors everyone well, like, that's and, your, those are your options <laughs> and and the the part that like as i was reading it was really that was really interesting was the only time that they went away from that color palette was when they completed the quest and then at the very last page when they start the next arc when they say oh you know something else is going to happen keep reading the comic right like that that's that's really the only time in the comic book they went away from that to kind of pull you in and be like, oh, this is an important thing. And so that use of color and that use of, you know, different contrasting styles, even if you're not like paying attention to it, you're you're going to like subconsciously do that in your in your mind. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's a really successful adaptation, and and I I like what you said uh, earlier, Nick, about like the cartoony style does fit the tone. Like if this was done in uh you know like a Jim Lee comic art style, like it just wouldn't fit the tone at all <laughs> of what they're going for. Uh, it it does have like the broad slapstick humor that we associate more with uh you know the the classic animation styles uh, of art, and so it is a really good match of style and tone of story, and it allows them to keep some of that. Uh, silliness that is definitely a core feature of the podcast. Well, and as long as they're using the oof bam pows, like I'm happy and <laughs> they they do that. So like a comic book needs to have those in my opinion, no matter what, even if it's like gritty, dark Frank Miller. I don't, I just, well, Frank Miller loves to use them. He just he I just know. does it a little differently than, <laughs> than the '60s Batman TV show. Sure. <laughs> uh, any anything else about the uh, adaptation or that you think is particularly strong in terms of the comic book version of the Adventure Zone? I think one of the things that is really strong about their adaptation is because they know where the story is going, they know what is important to highlight, and uh, the, and so the characters kind of play along with the story a little bit more whereas in the podcast they don't really know where the story is going so the characters do whatever like at the very beginning of this uh one in particular uh there is a scene where they're asking about what was in the vials they drank and then what's with that jellyfish and why can't i remember things and that's all in one panel and i'm just like yeah that like there's no way they were that concise on the podcast uh, <laughs> no. it, because it just kind of moved the story along. And so I, and, and there were a couple places that they did things like that, like the Tom Bodette scene, the we'll leave the light on for you. I think in the podcast, he was <laughs> animatronic and there were a bunch of them running around the yeah, they were just making jokes all the time about like for for we'll like 20 minutes the of the podcast about tom Bodette. yeah uh, and it becomes just like four panels in the comic book exactly exactly so it's they they, they can condense down the best jokes that they make and into the most concise version of those jokes and the storytelling and so i really think they do a good job with that because as much as i love the podcast i don't think i would like reading a transcript of the podcast oh no i mean this this arc how many episodes was it seven episodes and each one was like an hour and a half, you know, around that time. Like that's just so much content to try and put into it. And like thinking about some of the, the risks they do. And, and it's not just like changing it to a, a different format. We have to read it like on the combo page text is at a premium. Like you cannot have 
but so much text in a word balloon before it's covering up the art and and it's you know just becomes a chore to to work into the page and to read as a reader so they really do have to go for concision and narrowing the focus uh and yet somehow they they do i think capture the spirit of uh, like you said like the jokes they just give you the best version instead of like five quips that led to the best version on the podcast which they left all of those in uh <laughs> often because you can do that on you know the free audio medium where it's just however long the file is how long the file is and they're not as concerned about it um, one other thing I, I, I do want to acknowledge is there's a lot of really fun page layouts that uh, Carrie does in this. However, I never got lost in what order to read them in. And I, I you know, that's a mark of someone who understands comic book uh, yeah, layouts so well. Sure. Uh, and, and so I just want to like throw out that she she's really good here, <laughs> here. just in terms of, of the style, but in terms of uh, not doing like the static nine, nine, nine panel grid, which is classic, but can also start to feel boring and repetitive. Like I'm flipping through this and no page has the exact same panel layout as the page next to it. And there's so many variations that she has employed. And yet it was always very easy to follow along with the flow. And even I read it, reading it on Kindle. Uh, a lot of times I will read a digital comic book and be like, man, this is what I have to read in physically to get the double page spread to see how that lays out together and this one it was fine like it it takes not only is are they creative layouts they're creative layouts that each page stands on their own and i bet you because i've got the physical one for the first for the first series uh and it looked really good together so i bet you it's the same thing where uh there was details that were paid attention to for the digital version and the physical version and the, not saying that they changed it, but just saying that they work as either or, and that they, they were was not an accident. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, one other thing I just want to touch on, I see that you had this in the notes, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Angus. Uh, and you say that you, you know, and, and Brandon, you may have done a deeper dive that Angus was created because Griffin didn't think they'd be able to figure it out on their own. Very much. I, I thought this might be a character you introduce an NPC that is the greatest detective because they can say anything that needs to be said to like guide your, your other characters if needed. So uh, it, it, are you sure that he was created specifically to help them figure it all out? Yes. And they said that in one of the adventure zone zones or the, okay. the adventure zone zones. And Griffin was like, look, I, w I didn't know if you would figure it out or not. And so I brought Angus in and I mean, there are quips that he's like, wow, I didn't think you would figure that out that I'm pretty sure were actually Griffin saying, wow, I didn't think you would figure that out even after me telling you that. So, Yeah, well, and with that, I, I can't tell if it's, uh, and it could be both because, again, they have like a ribbing relationship in as brothers often do. Uh, but it also could be like as a storyteller, I've built this mystery and I don't know if I've laid the right clues out or I've made it too obtuse or if I made it too simple. And having a character like Angus just allows a little bit of flexibility uh, if you're worried about that. Well, in D&D, it is... It is widely known that doing a murder mystery in D&D is very difficult only because you can't make it a linear progression like you could in a story. Like, you know, you can say I laid out all of the clues in the story, Agatha Christie or, you know, whatever. And, and they're there for everyone to read. Um, in D&D, if you set a clue and it's the one thing that they need to find, you know, the knife in the in the in the bush. If your character don't say, I want to go look in that bush or if they roll really bad and can't find anything in the bush because they they rode, you know, 
rolled terribly, then, um, you know, are you just going to not do it? Right. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, how do you help this get resolved so, at that point? So like, like that's a very good way to do it. But then there's also something called the rule of threes where you make three different ways for them to solve it. Hmm. So like, and, and three very different ways, like an NPC could tell them they could find a clue or, you know, they have a dream, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, like sometimes you have to push your players a little bit, um, to help them along but also you don't want to just say this is the only way you can figure out this mystery um and and so like it does not surprise me at all that griffin did that like <laughs> i can totally tell this like okay well this is just kind of my get out of free jail card if everyone <laughs> just doesn't get what i'm laying down and that's really hard i mean it's really hard to like on the spot be everyone's listening to you and like they are dissecting every word you say because like you're their you're their avenue you are the aspect of like how they get their story or how they can solve this um and then any information you give them they can dissect and and so like it can be intimidating but it's also really fun like it's part of the fun of doing it so all right. Well, I think we're about at the point where we're going to have to wrap up. Do either of you have any final thoughts about the Adventure Zone you'd like to share? If you like, if you like Adventure Zone, there's a lot of there's a lot of other podcasts you could go listen to as well. I mean, I highly recommend this one. I recommend the graphic novel because it's really well done. Um, if you like the fun lightheartedness of this, Dimension Twenty is very popular, and Brandon Lee Mulligan is the um, the DM of it and he is very jovial and just excitable and he's a really good DM and he makes really fun stories and they are also shorter arcs um, you know they'll do 17 episodes that are an hour or two hours long and that's the story and then they move on to a different one and use different characters and stuff um, Critical Role is always recommended we talked about that already but it is a big commitment but I, I warn you Brandon says that he got obsessed and listened to you know, all of Adventure Zone in a week, I did exactly the same thing with Critical Role. And it was over a year that I didn't want to consume anything else. I just wanted to, I just <laughs> wanted Critical Role. And I've got three or four friends that I've introduced it to, and they're in the same boat right now, you know. Um, and a Acquisitions Incorporated is another really big one. Um, and then there's one called High Rollers that's actually uh, British. But those are the ones that I would recommend. If you want to dig into or look into more actual play podcasts, there's all one more is called Dice Camera Action, and it's um, actually done by one of the people who like is in charge of D and D. So like he knows the rules. His name's Chris Perkins. Um, but yeah, so I just thought I'd throw that in there. Oh, so, thank you. For my closing thoughts on uh, the Adventure Zone, I would say. Well, so this was my introduction to Dungeons and Dragons. I knew what it was. My siblings played it, and I just kind of made fun of them for doing that. But then this was my introduction, and it really, like, a light bulb went off for me with this as to this is a really collaborative storytelling process. And it's not about what you roll on the dice. It's not about what you put on your character sheet. It's about role-playing as the characters. Because yes, we've these, these brothers, they goof off and they pull in real-world things, but they do a really good job at role-playing, at becoming the character that they 
are playing in the game. And it has influenced how I try to play D&D. And so if you are interested in playing D&D, I would highly recommend listening to this one and seeing just how into the character that these people get. And, you know, the podcast is, is great. The book is great. It's, I, I, will, I will consume pretty much any Adventure Zone material that comes out ever. Just, it, it is adult. It's not for kids. It's really hard for my kids to see me reading a comic book with this lighthearted imagery and me being like, nope, you are not reading this one yet. <laughs> not, but, not, not, not for your age group. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I, it, it's genuinely one of, one of the, the bright spots in my week when I pull up my podcatcher and it's like, oh, yeah, this is Adventure Zone week. And I get to have an episode of Adventure Zone. Yeah, I still remember. Like, I've listened through the entire arc twice, I think. Uh, and I'm sure I will do it again for, for the Bureau of Balance. Like, that's the one that's my favorite of of their seasons that they've done. I'm enjoying their current one, uh, probably the next most after this. But at the very end of the Bureau of Balance, and Brandon, you may remember it. Uh, like, one of the last things they say is, like, they wrap up the story. And then there's this beat. And then uh, one of the brothers says something like, and that's the story of four adult men who played D&D so hard they all cried. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's it pretty emotional at the end. Yeah, and, and like it's like real emotion is it, like tugging at your heartstrings. Emotion is happening by the end, which if you just because we're, we're talking about this, you just go and download the first episode again. It, it doesn't hold up compared to what comes. Uh, it's a lot of blue humor. A lot of uh, F-bombs are getting dropped. And and it's not like for me earning like the emotional weight that is going to come. You've got to kind of like power through that. And uh, and then it's it's some amazing storytelling that happens. And again, like the storytelling, I think. I would, I just want to give a lot of credit to Griffin McElroy of building like this strange pastiche of a world that somehow interlocks really well. And like you said, Brendan, at the end, it's like a lot of emotion comes together and he really does pull it off. I think as a, a DM who's guiding the story, uh, he had a story they wanted to tell, but he also allowed all the crazy improvisations. And there's a few moments, like I said, particularly with like Magnus and the action scenes, where it's like, okay, let's, let's see what happens as we go forward. Like, he, I, I know he had like, uh, concerns were raised about him like railroading them through certain things and and uh but i I think it really is collaborative and improvisational uh with that like overall storyline that he's trying to 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 reach and tell and it does particularly in this in the in the bureau of balance storyline uh land very well for me as a listener all right i think that is going to wrap everything up Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. And uh, Brandon and Nick, is there anything you would like to plug? Yeah, after a long hiatus, we are coming back to fandom. We are changing up the format a little bit. Uh, we have decided we are not going to do the weekly news and discussion format that that we've done uh, for the past few years. We're, we're taking, taking some deep dives, four, five, six episode arcs on each property that we are doing. So kind of following the, we're, we're mashing up protagonists with Adventure Zone, it seems like, with these, <laughs> with these arcs. Like we talk about a great story over the course of several episodes. So it, that's what we're doing next. Uh, we should be out with new episodes uh, towards the end of March. So we're excited to see that. That can be found at fandompodcast.com. Do you uh, know what some of the franchises you're going to be doing deep dives on are early on in your relaunch? Our first one, I, I'll let Nick talk about our first one because because it's, <laughs> it's Nick. Well, no, you were the one that chose it. I chose it. Okay. 
Well, no, you chose it. And the reason why you chose it is because we also want to, like, if we're going to mess one up, we want to mess one up that's not <laughs> as... If we mess it up, I want to mess up one of Nick's and not one of mine. That's <laughs> pretty pretty much. But, um, I, you know, funny enough, Brandon said, hey, we're going to do a deep dive into Anchorman, the legendary you know story of Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy, yes. Um, and so that's what we're first tackling, and we're just kind of getting our feet wet. So, so you I mean, have two we films don't... and a lot of ESPN commercials to cover, right? Yeah, and a podcast. <laughs> oh. So yeah, no, you got something to need to find out about. But um, yeah, there's eh, it's just one of those silly things. But the thing about the deep dives is we're not just talking about the movie. We talk about like what it means, and you know, I mean, we get into some pretty interesting conversations about a lot of serious topics um which you know is healthy and good and i mean it's just a silly funny movie but we actually talk about a lot of really important stuff so it's fun and you know there's quotes to be had so you know i enjoy it all right uh nick did you also want to plug your art i just wanted to give one more shout oh yeah we can uh i i am an artist um and if you want to see some of my stuff, it's at nickenglishart.com. And uh, my first name is Nick with no C. So it's just N-I-K, English, like the language, and art.com. So you can go there and check some stuff out if you want. Well, thank you both for joining us. And listeners, if you enjoy this, I think you will enjoy Fandom. Uh, their uh, podcast, which in their previous iteration, I had bounced around on a few times. Uh, and uh, everyone that's been associated with Fandom has been a guest on the protagonist podcast. So a very similar, I think, uh, love of of pop culture and, uh, the, you know, just exploring the things that, that um, resonate with us. Uh, once again, you can uh, join our fan, uh, our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash protagonist uh, podcast. And also, Dueling Genre is hosting a Discord channel, so you can go join there and interact with all the Dueling Genre podcast hosts. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Bye-bye. Looks like we are all good to go. All right, so I will uh, take us off here.